morning. Good evening. Welcome to I only get to say that two more times. Turn your song books to 966. 966. We don't have a lot of people here tonight. If you're watching on YouTube and you're not here and you wonder why, it's not because people aren't faithful at Waterford. It's because there's a blizzard outside. <laughs> well, we were, we, for us, it's a little flurry. Anywhere else in the United States, it'd be a blizzard. But uh, we don't have as many of us tonight, so I thought a song where you only have to sing one word might be appropriate. Let's do it together. We've done it before. Amen. 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 Continue. Little baby. Lying in a manger. And making them disciples. Amen. Amen. Sing a little softer. Wanna tell you about my Jesus. Wanna tell you about him crucified. Amen. Amen. See him in the garden. Talking to his father. In deepest sorrow, amen, amen, see him on Calvary, he's dying for you, and he's dying for me, amen, amen, sing a little louder, want to tell you about the risen, want to tell you about my Jesus, Now, Jesus has arisen, praise God, Jehovah, amen, amen, amen. And what do we say to that? Amen. See, one word, not hard at all, not hard at all. Dan, that was a very appropriate song. The battle belongs to the Lord for what we've been talking about for these last several weeks, and we're going to get as far as we can tonight and the next two Sunday nights in the book of 1 Peter. But the theme of 1 Peter that we've examined throughout these weeks has been that we are a people who live behind enemy lines. We're a people who will suffer. We're a people who are in a foreign, foreign pagan land but we're citizens of another country. And I hope that this study has been eye-opening and impactful to you. Because it has been to me, especially in this particular time in which we live, a time of such partisan division as we talked about a little bit this morning, and where our nation seems to be at a time of crossroads. We don't know the future. 
I worry that perhaps civil war is coming in the future. I've never seen it like this before. You haven't either. We don't know what the future holds, but he, we know who holds the future. We know who holds the future. And at times like this, the Lord's church should be studying 1 Peter as diligently as any other part of Scripture because it is a manual on how to survive in a world like ours. That's what it is. And tonight, he's going to really get real. He's going to get down to earth, and it's going to speak to Kerry Williams powerfully, and I suspect it's going to speak to many of you as well. Because this is something all of my life, and I don't really admit it very much, but this is just the truth. All of my life, I have struggled with what he's going to talk about tonight. Because my personality is what they call type A. It's an aggressive personality. I was raised by a daddy who's a five foot, five foot seven inch lion. And he is. I mean, he, he didn't back down from anybody except my mother in the whole world. Now, with her, he's a lamb. But everybody else, he's a lion. And that's, that's what I grew up with. And, and that's kind of my nature. I mean, Lenora would tell you, she gets in, in my grill sometimes about this because I... I get upset. There have been times where I, I try to be self-controlled. I'm more mature than I was when I was younger. But if somebody gives me an a interesting gesture on the road, my first instinct is, and I've done it a few times, I've followed them and waited till they pulled over and got out of the car. I mean, that's been on more than one occasion. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because tonight's lesson is going to speak to me. Because I have trouble being submissive. I have trouble when I feel people have done me wrong. Or trampled on my rights. And I live in a culture that celebrates it. I've grown up in a society that to be a man, I backed down from a bully one time when I was a kid. And I remember thinking and and I'm the kind of guy that if I put my mind to something, I generally do it. And I thought, I'm never backing down from anybody the rest of my life. And, and I, you know, that's what I felt I needed to do and to be. Because a man don't back down, right? A man stands strong and stands tall. A man shouldn't need anybody. Is this stuff sounding familiar? I've lived in a culture that's encouraged everything that's exactly opposite of what Peter, in plain language, not in apocalyptic or figurative tongue, he's going to speak in plain language, saying submission is the way of Christ and rebellion is the way of the devil. Now let's get real. This is hard because we live in a nation that I love, you love it too, that was born of rebellion. It was. I do not know how to reconcile that. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just glad I didn't live in 1776. I don't know how to reconcile it. I'm not going to try to. I can tell you this though. I live in the United States of America and I'm loyal to and love the United States of America. 
And I am not responsible for the decisions of the past. I'm responsible to live for Jesus in today. That's what I'm told to do. But I think it is important that we recognize how deeply this runs in our culture. The spirit of rebellion. That if anybody tramples on my rights, I have the right given by God, that's what we say, to rebel. Am I wrong? Or is that what we say? And, And I'm just... If you know anything about me after four years of listening over and over and over, you know that even when it's hard, I want to be true to what he says and what he wants, even when it runs against the grain of sometimes everything in me. And this runs against the grain of everything in me. To not stand up. To not push back. Really, to push back harder. Boy, we got silence in this room, right? So let's just read what Peter says. Starts in chapter 2 and verse 12. Yeah, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now, there's a lot in those few verses. But it's not veiled language. It's not shadow speech. It is plain. It's laid out clear. And he says this, we're to be a people who practice and live by a code of submission rather than rebellion. Because we're submitting ourselves not just to men, in fact, not even primarily to men. We're submitting ourselves to men for one reason only, because we have submitted ourselves wholly, completely, with all that we are to our God. We are His, and that should be our foremost and primary concern. Now, this is important especially now, because like never before, the devil is going to try to confuse us about what matters the most. He is. He's going to try to distract us. He's going to try to get us to ignore these words as free men, not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. What does that mean, a cloak? Liberty as a cloak for vice. That means doing things that would otherwise be wrong, and we know they're wrong, and cloaking it in this image of liberty. Well, I have to be this way because they're threatening my rights. I have to respond in this way because, you know, look at the direction they're taking our country. 
Folks, if it's not wrong in any other circum, right in any other circumstance, it's not right even when you cloak it in liberty. That's what he says. Don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. But he tells us what to do. He says, honor all people. Does he say people that are good people? Does he say people that believe right and do right? Does he say honor people who think like you and believe like you and haven't been deceived by the devil? Or does he say all people? Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king. Now, sometimes folks dismiss this because we live in a different type of society because we don't technically have a king. Well, what's interesting about that is under the Roman society, they had a lot of different types of authorities. In Judea, you had to honor two kings. Herod, who was your local king, and Caesar, who was the world's king. And then you also would have had Jewish officials, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the people. Then you would have had Roman officials. I mean, it was 10 times as complex as what we have to deal with now. But he doesn't give any qualifiers, does it? His point is you honor those who have governmental authority over you. Sometimes that is a lot easier to do than other times, isn't it? So he's going to be very, very plain here in talking about submission, and then he'll move on. He'll be, verses 18 through 21, we'll address that also. That's submission to employers in the, in the workplace. That's a hard one to do in our society. I mean, we live in Michigan. <laughs> The home of what? Unions. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's wrong to be a part of the union. I'm simply pointing out though, could there be a time that can be taken too far? Yeah, it can be. If it's not cloaked in this, then it's going too far. You see, in all of these ways, the devil tries to think, take things that in and of themselves aren't wrong, but he makes them so very very evil. It's not wrong to, I think that's why, you know that in our tradition, in the churches of Christ, in our heritage, in the restoration movement, when you look in the past, we've been a people that until 1917, do you know the largest religious group of conscientious objectors in the United States were churches of Christ? Because some pretty big time preachers by the name of like T.B. Laramore, and you might have heard of this one, David Lipscomb. They preached, I mean, in congregation and in congregation, in the, in the tabernacle in, in Nashville, Tennessee, to crowds of hundreds and sometimes thousands. They preached that you shouldn't even vote as a member of the Lord's church. Now, we're not going that far. I'm not taking it that far. I vote. But you know why they did that? Because they had seen 
brothers, one wearing blue and one wearing gray, who killed each other on a battlefield when they were members of the kingdom of God. They had seen it. They had seen it. And they said, this can't be what God intended for a brother because one of them lives in Indiana and the other one lives in Tennessee. When just a month before they'd gather together in fellowship and praise the Lord together. And now they take up arms. And, you know, in all of that, and we know the reasons for all of that and praise God that the great injustice of slavery was done away with. But when we look to the future now, we have to think about these things. And I'm, I'm going to keep voting, but I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to do my very best to follow what the Lord told me to do and to be. And that is submissive. I'm going to be submissive to the shepherds. I'm going to be submissive to, well, I don't have a boss other than the shepherds. So I'm going to be submissive to a shepherd. You be submissive to your boss. And if you can't be, nicely look for another job. You know? And we're going to be children. I'm going to be, try to be, now I'm an adult man now, but I'm going to respect my mom and dad. But children who are in the Lord need to be submissive to their parents. When we're pulled over and those are blue lights in our rear view, we need to be submissive to the man who walks up to the window. We need to be submissive when we sit in a courtroom before a judge. And the reason we're submissive is not because of the quality of the person we're submitting to. It's because of the quality of the one that we submit our lives to. And you can't end run around it. This is plain language. Submission is essential in the Christian faith. And our problem so often is rebellion, which is simply defined as reserving for myself the right to make final decision. That's how rebellion is defined. And when we look in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 2, the Lord says, I have stretched out my hand all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. I think a big part of the problem is, is that not only are we concerned with our rights, we have been taught to be concerned with our voice so much that we feel our voice always needs to be heard. Somebody said that to me this morning. They came up to me after the lesson and they said, you know, the problem with this social media is it gave a platform and a voice to millions and millions of people who didn't feel they had a voice before. And boy, do they want to use it now. Don't they? And see, that's part of the problem too. Is when we feel that we have to, that we not only get to have, you get to have opinion. But when we feel that everybody should always be able to air them all the time. The truth is, is that I've got opinions about things I don't know anything about. Do you? I mean, I could give you an opinion on just about any subject in the world. Cars, I've driven cars all my life. I've got lots of opinions, but I don't build them like y'all do. So there would be some areas I could just kind of spew forth opinions 
that would be totally uneducated. Because my opinions would be rooted in ignorance. That's what the Lord says rebellion is. It's motivated by their ignorance. You see, submission is self-control over ourselves, over our passions, even over our voice. It's meekness, power under restraint and under control. How do we display this, re- how do we display this rebellious spirit? Well, Peter's instruction here is truly, I'm telling you, you want to do something radical? Do what this text says. In the United States of America, in our culture, to truly be submissive people. And I'm not meaning weak people. There's a difference. Jesus was submissive. But don't ever call him weak. Gandhi was submissive. Don't call him weak. Martin Luther King Jr. was submissive. Don't call him weak. They could have all started a physical rebellion, but no. There's power in submission. So he says here in verses 13 through 17, submission to human authorities. You see, these words were written in the 60s AD at a time when Nero sat on the throne of Rome. Nero, this is just a few tidbits from his biography. Nero lit the fires that burned half the city of Rome, the glory of the world, to the ground. And he blamed Christians. You know why he blamed Christians? They were an easy target. Nobody understood them. They were weird. They were. People kind of thought of them as the new cult on the block. So he blamed the Christians, and they were persecuted terribly because of it. Nero is responsible for murdering both Paul and Peter, the two most prominent of all of the apostles and whose voice has influenced everything we are and believe more than any other. Nero fancied himself a great leader. He fancied himself a chariot racer. And when he'd race the chariots, of course, he won every time. Has the world had corrupt leaders before now? Almost certainly. Nero collected Christians during the day. He'd send out his soldiers and he'd gather them up. He'd put them on poles. He'd douse them with oil and he'd light them on fire during his night races to give it more drama. That's the king that sits on the throne that Peter writes these words of, honor the king. That's radical. You see, this is not instructing us to compromise, but rather not to rebel. Antiochus Epiphanes was a king that, a a Greek king of the Seleucid line that was over the area of Judea in the intertestamental period when the Greeks ruled that that territory. And you think the Romans were hard on the Jews? Well, not even close to the Greeks. The Greeks had a different, Romans, they wanted to assimilate people into their society. Their system worked a lot better than the Greeks did. Rome allowed you to keep your own religion. They allowed you to keep your own, you know, culture. And they just said, just pay your taxes to Caesar and don't rise up and all will be good. That was the Roman way, not the Greek way. 
The Greeks put a gymnasium. They put a theater. They put all the, the markers of Hellenistic culture everywhere they went. And they tried to force people to all be Greeks. That's why the whole world spoke Greek at the time of Jesus. Well, this was a particular problem in Judea. Because here you have a polytheistic culture that wants to force everyone to adopt their culture in a, in a nation of people who are monotheistic and whose God says, you shall have no other gods before me, for I am a jealous God. It's naturally a point of conflict. That's what the Apocrypha that's written about that period between the Testaments, it's a history of this time. You read about this in First and Second Maccabees and others. But there was a Greek king named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was a bad dude. He, just to spite the Jews, would do things like sacrifice a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. A pig. Why do you think he chose that? There's one story about him calling in a mother who wouldn't worship the pagan Greek gods. And she had, I don't remember how many sons, maybe five or six sons. And he told her, you will renounce your God and you'll worship my gods. She refused. He took her first son and he boiled him alive in oil right in front of her and made her watch. The guards held her still and made her watch. He said, are you ready now to denounce your God? In tears? She wouldn't. He took her next son, then her next son, then her next son. Finally, she had one son left. And he begged her. I mean, he's exasperated. See, tyrants, when they can't break you, it's exasperating to them. And it makes them afraid. Because that's power. And he said to her, I'll give you anything you ask. I'll make you rich beyond your wildest imaginations. She said, you only have one son left. What are you thinking? She turns to her son and says, my son, I love you. Die well. That's power. And Nero wasn't any better. In the time of the writing of Revelation, we have Domitian, who's a king over the world and a Roman emperor that makes, frankly, Nero look like a puppy dog who'll start the emperor cult and pull people away from their children kill them in front of their children or kill their children in front of them if they won't say Caesar is God. He fancied himself a deity. You go through history and you find others. Marcus Aurelius, a hundred years after that, who tries to wipe Christianity out of the Roman Empire. It'll happen over and over and over and over. And not once did the Lord's church call to arms. Now, there were enough of them. In the time of Marcus Aurelius, we're talking like a quarter of the world have been converted to Christianity. Millions and millions. What if they'd just risen up and rebelled? Well, they probably could have. The problem, there was just one little problem with that. They had the numbers. 
God had told them not to. So they didn't. But what's intriguing is after 300 years of that stuff, somehow, some way, a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine becomes a Christian. And then Christianity is not only accepted, it's approved of, it's supported in the Roman Empire. And then soon afterwards, you know, the Roman Empire will fall from internal decay and Christianity will remain dominant and the devil will change his tactic. He did. Because here's the thing. Our brethren, our brave, don't ever call them weak. Don't call that mother weak. Don't call our brethren weak. Our brethren defeated the most powerful force this world has ever known, the most organized, the most advanced, the, the nation that developed everything that's modeled militarily after it throughout the world today. And they defeated them without ever raising a sword because God knows what he's talking about. And our wisdom does not measure up to his. You see, he tells them that we're to be a people who do not compromise, but rather we do not rebel either. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we see an example. Peter and the other apostles answered and said to them, we ought to obey God rather than men. They're called before the Sanhedrin when they're called because they're submissive, they go. Until they ask them to do something that the higher authority had asked them not to do. You see, the Lord's church defeated the Roman Empire because they were willing to die before they were willing to dishonor their God. And that's not weak. That is the ultimate form of strength. Power under restraint. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22, 21. That's where he, he says he's asked about this by a people who were, I mean, they wanted to rise up and rebel, didn't they? Everybody was trying to push Jesus towards this. And when they ask him, he says, he takes that coin and says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God's. Why do we submit to those who don't deserve it? See, that's the real question. Why do we submit to those who don't deserve it? Well, look at verses 15 and 16. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but servants of God. He says, it's the will of God. He says, I have called you to be better than that. I've called you to have more integrity, to have more internal strength, to not be, as we talked about a hundred times, not be ruled by your passions and your emotions and your, your offenses and everything that gets under your skin. You see, wicked men are pulled this way and that way by everything they feel. 
He says, I've called you to be better than that. To be stronger than that. And when you are submissive, but not weak, submissive, but not compromising, that strength is real power. It's real power. He goes on and he continues this discussion in verses 18 through 20 with a different category of life where he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only in the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of your conscience toward God, one endures grief suffering wrongfully for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently but when you do good and suffer for it if you take it patiently this is commendable before God now I don't know any other way to read that than just to read what it says if you are mistreated and you don't deserve it that's commendable before God. In other words, Christians have a totally different outlook on these things. And God sees. If, you, if you're at a, jo- a job and <coughs> you have a harsh master, and this is kind of a parallel to that. Some would say, well, this was in a time of slavery. No, no, no. The word he uses there for servant is the word that they used commonly in the first century, there's several of them. There's doulos and there's diakonos and there's all sorts of words the Greeks used. And the one particularly here would generally refer to a household servant that received a wage. What do we call that? An employee. Some masters were kind, some were not. But loyalty is commanded even to those who are unjust Now, I don't think this means there's nowhere in Scripture where he says there that you've got to keep staying with that master if you have another option. I mean, that would just be, well, that would would not make sense at all. So if you serve a master who is not too good to you, you, these are your options. You submit, and you take it, and the Lord sees it. And it's commendable. The Lord rewards it. The other option you have is to look for a different master, a different employer who's going to treat you better and to still be submissive to the one that you work for right now until you leave. What isn't an option is take this job and... That's the American way of doing it. But it's not the Bible way. Is it? And then he continues. Verses 21 through 25. And he tells us the reason for this submission. For to you we're called because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin. Nor was any guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, 
did not revile in return. Carrie Williams needs to hear that. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. The reason we don't look at suffering like everybody else is because we serve the greatest sufferer that ever existed. And our very aim, our objective is to be like it. That's why, and I'm telling you, we read over some of these passages and we don't pay close attention. At the end of Philippians chapter one, Paul is speaking to the Philippian church who's gonna go through persecution and he tells them, he says, live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you continue with one spirit, with one mind. And then he goes on and he says, not in any way afraid of your adversaries, which is to them a sign of perdition, but to you of salvation. And he says an intriguing statement. For to you it has been granted. Some versions say appointed. For you it has been granted not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's an interesting passage. Because it talks about suffering in a way that we just don't hear in our world. Because Paul says it's an honor to suffer. Peter says it's a It's an honor before God when you're mistreated and you didn't do anything to deserve it. But our culture will never tell us to react that way, will it? Because this world is ruled by the devil and we are behind enemy lines and we're citizens of a better country. Well, this lesson is one directed in the mirror because I preach it pretty passionately, but the reason is because I really, really struggle. My flesh, my sarks, my sinful nature, if somebody gives me that expression on the road, I want to follow them. I have black belts in two different martial arts. I sometimes want to use it in those moments. When somebody does me wrong, I don't just want to push back. My nature wants to destroy them. You know, you hit me once, I'll hit you five times kind of thing, right? But it's not being a man. It's not strength. It's being a slave to my passions. It's weakness. Strength is found in ultimate submission. Solely and completely to him. But I'm going to submit to Washington because he told me so. 
And I'm going to submit to the guy who pulls me over because they're not all as good as Mario, but I'm going to submit to him because he told me to. I'm going to submit to the elders. It's pretty easy to do at Waterford. Some congregations it's harder, but I'm going to do that because submitted to him. You need to work on your submission. You can do that in your own heart, or you can tell everybody like I've done tonight. And if you want to be open about it, I mean, we're all, uh, all, all of us men are kind of trying to recover from hyper-machoism. I mean, we are. Come right now and stand. We stand. Just 